Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now, here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 36 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is our second episode in our special podcast series I'm doing with my friend and colleague and fellow airline consultant Henry Hertewelt. We do a lot of airline digital marketing, e-commerce and conversion optimization work here at Digging Travel. But in this special series with Henry, we decided to do something different and talk about airline retail in more broader terms, try to look at it from a bigger picture perspective. So we won't talk only about digital, we want to give you different views on ancillary revenue, e-commerce, onboard experience and all other elements of airline retailing. Now this podcast is all about bringing you interesting airline people and have them share their experience with you. So I'm really happy that for a second straight episode we managed to bring you a very interesting person and the person who, like Emilio in our prior episode, works for four different airlines. Even more, this person, the current guest, works for four different airlines on four different continents and now works for an airport. Henry and I talked to Lee Barrett and Lee's impressive airline career includes roles at Air New Zealand, at its head office in Auckland, he worked at Jetstar in Tokyo, He was Director of Ancillary Revenue at Viva Aerobus in Mexico City and Director of Customer Experience and Ancillary Revenue for Level in London. Lee is currently the Future of Check-In Program Manager at Auckland Airport. Lee truly has a fascinating background and career and I hope you'll enjoy listening to Lee talking about, about his experience and learnings on various different topics from ancillary revenue to artificial intelligence to onboard retailing. Please enjoy the show. Hi Lee, hi Henry, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hello, Istok. Hi. Hi, hi guys. So Lee, before we start, let me tell you that you and our prior guest from prior episode, Emilio, put a really high bar for the future guest of this show because I think you both <laughs> you both guys you worked for four different airlines in the past so I think uh, this will be really difficult uh, to top I think and we had guys with tons of different airline experience and I love this so this is why we basically also invited you to chat uh, because uh, as I said different background airline backgrounds various airlines and also airports but maybe before we start if you can just briefly explain a little bit about this path, uh, what you did in the past and what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, it'll be my pleasure. Well, first of all, uh, thanks, guys, for inviting me to, to speak on your podcast. It's, a, it's an honor to, to have that opportunity. Um, I think for, for me, my career history, um, it's, been a, it's been a bit of, um, I think, a combination of um, interest and luck. Um, I started off working in the operational side of the airline, um, and that's how I entered the, the aviation business. And um, I was really um, passionate about the customer 
Um, and I think that's where it all began, um, working on the, um, on the coalface and, uh, and having to see um, how the operation worked um, and how um, all of the work that was done from the inside of the airline translated to moving people from one place to another, to the service experience and to all the benefits and um, to all the benefits and, um, and uh, um, interactions that we had with customers. I think it's hard sometimes to, to see how that translates when you're sitting in an office paying accounts or uh, working on a, a development for the, for the website, how it actually all comes together to facilitate the customer experience and the endpoint. So I started on the reverse side. I started doing that and seeing all the challenges um, in the airline um, from that point of view. And um, I got interested in different projects and different ideas and, and, and worked my way through different um, uh, different areas in the organization. And then I moved on to a different organization. I moved up to Jetstar and went to work in Asia. Um, and I then did a couple of years up there and I ended up at Viva. And Viva was when I really changed uh, tact and I went from um, working in the operational side of the business to working in the commercial side of the business and getting a real taste for how the airline actually makes money <laughs> and how difficult it is, you know, how many challenges there are in actually turning a profit in an airline. Um, huge amounts of money move through airlines, but very little of it actually ends up in, a, in the bank, you know, in the, in the, in the pockets of the investors. And uh, I remember Richard Branson, I think it was, that said um, it's one sure way to become a millionaire in the airline business, and that's to start off as a billionaire. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, gosh, it rings true, you know, when you start seeing the commercials of an airline and the challenges and all the differences from the, um, the macro impacts of fuel and, and lease costs and, and, um, and changes in demand and the impacts of... Um, of all the market changes in, in each of your um, destiny, you know, where you where you generating market side, it's it's a phenomenal business, and so I just got so passionate about that. Um, and yeah, so my career, I've just met great people, um, had great opportunities, and and um, I've just gone where where those opportunities have allowed me to go. So Lee, I'm curious. Uh, you've worked at these different airlines in very different roles. Um, I'm, I'm uh, wondering if perhaps you could share with us some of your greatest successes or if you feel brave, maybe some of the failures or things that didn't quite turn out the way you would have liked from the standpoint of um, some of your innovative work with digital retailing. Yeah, sure. Look, I think um, far and wide, the biggest success we had was transforming the, um, the ancillary business at Viva. Um, to put digital, um, sorry, to, to put AI um, and machine learning at the center of what we were doing. When I, and I mentioned this in my last chat with this talk, is when I started at Viva, we were in a precarious situation where, you know, when you benchmarked pricing, product, um, mix, the way, we'd, the way that we'd set up the business, there wasn't really anywhere to go. We'd used all the levers that we could, or the business had used all the levers to drive, you know, ancillary revenue, and we were just in the in the space of being punitive and nickel and diming passengers for everything, and it was not really moving in that value add kind of way. We were really getting into just being a very expensive um, and and very um, 
uncomfortable experience for passengers around the ancillary business. And, and a lot of those charges that we were implementing or that had been implemented before my time were, were really punitive. And it just really hurt the customer experience from the get-go. So using digital, using um, AI and machine learning to be able to um, create new levers for pricing where you could use the digital um, journey from the passenger to understand their behavior and understand the propensity for spend and then adjust pricing and product recommendations in line with what their expectations would be higher conversion rate, happier customers, better product matching, less um, noise in the transaction. That was a lever which led to exponential growth in ancillaries and drove us over the 50% um, total uh, ancillary revenue, percentage of revenue as a, as, as a total. Um, that's next level, really. That, that's phenomenal. Um, you know, the more we did it, the better we got at it. It allowed us also to, to um, slim down our offering, to offer more targeted, better products, more suited to the customers and informed, data informed. Um, and we, we've never had that approach before. Um, and I'm glad to see that um, the work that was done is continuing at Viva. They're continuing to get better at it. And, um, and they're just, um, yeah, they really are world leading and world class. So that was the biggest success. Oh, the biggest challenge as well, I think, um, Probably one of the things that I find really challenging is we never really cracked the onboard retail experience. Um, we did a lot of work around retail on board, um, but it's a very challenging space. Um, and until you have the resources, so the connectivity on board, until you have the right uh, partnerships, there needed to be a step change, I think, until you're working with your own devices, BYODs, uh, connectivity, using data behind it to drive improvements, then it, it's very hard to, to, to be successful as an onboard retailer. We've struggled in Japan with onboard retail. Um, we struggled in Europe with onboard retail. Um, Mexico, we did okay, but again, we didn't have the connectivity on board. It was just a very old um, model, you know, and, and it, it was tricky. And, and you know, I, I went to different events and you know the people were talking about these amazing opportunities like selling cars on board aircraft and look I never bought into that I thought that was perhaps a little bit um you know maybe one person did it one time and, and we've all jumped on the bandwagon with it but I think there was huge opportunity just in sheer volume if we got it right if we got the process right we understood what the customers were, were actually looking for if we made the the purchase process seamless, if it was integrated into um, into the airline's app, if we were focused on how we delivered it better, um, we could make some really good money on a volume basis um, across onboard retail. I don't know if you'd ever end up really with, um, you know, with shopping malls and the likes of that. Some people still firmly believe that there's big opportunity for, you know, hotels and transport. I sort of come from it an old, uh, a different school of thought. I think the opportunity is really still in coffee and tea and and, um, and and the likes of that. I think you've just got to make it compelling, get the customer at the right time, make it digital. The fulfillment process has to be better. Um, we have to have partners that are working better. Um, you know, I was always found it very difficult to understand why as a low-cost carrier that's selling Pringles and, and coffee. Why are we partnering with huge uh, catering organizations, which are 
on charging massive facility costs to us when all we really need is a refrigerated container somewhere off airport and a delivery mechanism and a reconciliation mechanism. You know, we didn't need to be funding all of that. So it became a really expensive proposition and that's where you end up with, you know, $6 for a cup of coffee. And people just don't want to pay that. And it's just not necessary. So I think that's the area that needed the work. We should have done more in that space. We should have pushed harder. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a polarizing view, but that's mine. And um, I think, yeah, that would probably be the, the failure, I think, that we had. Um, but yeah, plenty of lessons and, and exciting um, learnings along the journey. Lee, you talked about what you did on the digital side at uh, Viva, yeah? the successes with AI, machine learning, propensity. Basically, if I remember your case, you were calculating what of different, let's say, out of 10 different products, which one do you offer during the booking process? Which ancillary product do you offer and you played with pricing? And now you talked about, let's say, some of the, not failures, but some of the tougher uh, stuff that happened when you talked about on, onboard retailing and now you, you work at an airport. So I think today we will talk about merge of this physical and digital space. Can you think about some of the stuff that you did on the booking side at Viva with all this data and AI, some of the, let's say, some of the smart things, can they be applied and replicated on board or on airport even? Can airlines predict what will happen next and what is the propensity for the airport purchase and maybe partner there with airports? Look, I think there's tons of parallels between the two. They might be quite different um, business models, but I think the customers at the heart of it, you know, and airlines, um, airports like airlines are looking to monetize the customer journey as much as possible. So, you know, with the airports, you have, you know, you've got valet parking, you've got, you know, opportunities for priority check-in, you've got their own operated lounges, you've got, um, you know, at some airports, they even offering travel insurance products. You, you've airports really waking up to the idea that they can monetize the customer if they understand the customer and if they know when to um, to interact and how to interact with the customer. And that's their biggest challenge. I think airports have never really um, taken ownership of the customer. Um, I think internally, they understand the customer um, belongs to them. Uh, from a, a, a service a servicing point of view, but really the customer data and how to use that, it's always sort of sat with the airline and there's been this disconnect, um, I think, uh, historically about how the, the airport can start talking to those customers and where's their opportunity and window to sell to that customer and how to do it. Um, yeah, it's very early stages, but it's starting to see a real change there. And I think especially the low-cost terminal operators and, and the likes um, have picked up that. And airlines, oh, sorry, airports rather, with um, with loyalty programs that can sort of see and understand um, customer uh, interaction. So they can, you know, they can see when they're booking parking, they can see what the historical um, interactions at the airport have been, whether it's been uh, picking up um, loyalty points or picking up Wi-Fi, they've got some data. And so with that, they can start doing things. Um, but yeah, I think there's a world of ancillary opportunities in the airport environment, you know, parking, um, shuttles, um, you know, monetizing, uh, advertising. Um, there's there's opportunities with insurances. There's, you know, uh, as I said, the lounges. There's really a, a significant amount of opportunity there that, air, that airports waking up to, especially now with COVID, uh, putting pressures on revenue with 
you know, with a drop in airline travel. So be looking at new avenues. Um, on board is the same. I mean, if you've got a way to track the passengers' um, you know, interactions, you've got a way to measure and understand them, and then you can compare that to the, um, you know, you can build propensity models and compare that to other passenger behaviour, and you get your, you know, you get your predictors. Um, it's just historically, it's never been digital. It's always been a manual transaction, and you've never had a way to assign behaviour to an individual. You know, we could get some data for sectors. You know, we could see what sales look like on a particular flight. And you could compare that across a period of time, but you couldn't um, get really sophisticated data to be able to make really sophisticated decisions. And you see that it's problematic with um, with airlines because they're always trying to do as little as possible touching catering during the day because they want the aircraft to be as, uh, you know, they want to sweep the asset as much as possible, short as possible turnaround. Um, so they don't want to cater aircraft during the day. So they make... Uh, a one catering stop in the morning um, and then you know that's supposed to last the whole day so if you're unlucky and you're on the second or third sector by the time you come to buy something they typically don't have it on board so um, or in many cases I should say they don't have it on board despite trying to forecast you know and understand what sort of inventory management they should have they often don't do it well and that's disappointing Um, the answer to that again is data you know and using a digital experience if you can um, get better forecasting, um, or if you can get people to buy it in advance on your app, uh, and then you're fulfilling it as opposed to you know just holding a, an inventory. It's a significant improvement. So um, yeah, tons of it um, translates on board and to the airports. Um, yeah, you just got to really sit down and think about it. Right, Lee. Uh, you know, you mentioned that when I think it was at Viva that you guys were using artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm curious. When what year was that? When you when the airline started to use that uh, data? Yeah, we started in 2015. That's when we really began yeah. uh, playing with that. Um, we were a small airline, or it's a much bigger airline now than when I was there. But a small airline, so we 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 couldn't really justify having um, our own data scientists and um, and our own team. Um, so we partnered with Fusion, which was, unfortunately, it's no longer, but it was a spin-off of Allianz Group. Um, and they specialized in basically um, supporting the e-commerce and the digital interactions with the customer using their professional services. They would track, measure, and predict, and provide strategy and guidance around, um, around, the, around uh, our digital approach. And so we had great success with with Fusion. Um, they were connected to us, um, and uh, and so they would work um, running different experiments uh, constantly throughout the years, uh, looking at different purchase behavior, customer segments, and they would guide us through different opportunities and working together with them. I think you know that was an amazing opportunity for us while we were a smaller airline. Um, because it gave us access to so many opportunities that other small airlines just couldn't afford uh, to, you know, to do. Um, as the airlines got bigger, um, a lot of that's become, as I understand, a lot of that's been moved in-house and they're having great success with that. Um, but yeah, at the time, that's how we did it. So I'm curious because I want to build on what you just talked about, the importance of having the data uh, and using it, but also sharing it 
with colleagues, for example, at the airport or on board. Um, why do you think that it has been such a challenge for airlines to share or, or push the relevant information to the people who are working with customers? It, it's different when the customer is serving herself or himself through a website or a mobile app or a kiosk or something like that, because obviously then the the underlying systems, whether it's the PSS or the departure control system, can harness the data and push the offer. But you, you mentioned the challenge of, of the airports owning the customer and the onboard team doing as good a job as they'd like. Um, I'd like to, you know, you've got great perspective here and I'd like to, to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I think um, for the, it's easier to talk about this from, a, um, from an onboard retail point of view first, because typically you're serving, um, you know, you're working with a partner serving your own customers, whereas in an airport environment, you've got challenges with who really owns the customer, you know, so I think the answer to that is you own the customer at certain times, certain, um, the airline owns the customer from a certain, certain time in the passenger journey. Um, and the airport from other points in time. And I think sharing that data between the two becomes, um, you know, there becomes a question around, you know, what's the right thing to do? What are the limitations from a regulatory point of view? Um, commercial sensitivities. There are many barriers, I think, there or, or challenges that would need to be worked through to get that humming. Um, and, and also, it's not just... Um, you know, it's not just two parties involved in that, the airport and the um, and the airline. You've also got the regulatory um, elements as well, customs, immigration, you know. So you've got so many different parts of the journey where the customer sits that, that belong to different agencies or, or, or organisations. So it's a, it's a massive challenge. And I think, um, you know, it's going to take a long time to find um, the true potential in there. Um, from my point of view, what I see is if you have a, an airport that has a, an opportunity to collect data, you have opportunities probably before the customer arrives at the airport to really sell to that customer. And that's where, you know, there are things there that the airline, you will know that the airline either offers or doesn't, for example, a lounge and parking, you know, typically it's third party. Um, for an airline, um, at least a low-cost airline. So if you have your own lounge and your own parking um, options or, or pre-booked taxis or the likes of that, if you get the customer at the right time um, and you can offer a compelling proposition, then the airport has a real chance of making a difference there, um, you know, or, or monetizing that. Um, if you're talking about on board, it's way easier because your your relationship with an onboard retailer is it's it's um, hand in glove. You know you're working together um, with. There's a clear understanding that that passenger is your passenger at all times and and your customer to monetize. And the the um, the onboard retail partner is just looking for their share of that success. It's different. It's not competing as such. So um, and and you have the right structure of a relationship. We're sharing data and holding data and all that. It's, it's much easier. CETA is the air transport industry's IT provider, delivering solutions for airlines, airports, aircraft and government. Our technology powers more seamless, safe and sustainable air travel. 
With around 2,500 customers, CETA's solutions drive operational efficiencies at more than 1,000 airports while delivering the promise of the connected aircraft to customers of 18,000 aircraft globally. CETA also provides a technology solution that helps airlines worldwide bring their cabin crew into the digital era with an all-in-one digitalization tool. CrewTab, the tablet application for cabin crew, transforms daily airline operations from the ground up unlocking the highest level of resource optimization, ultimate cost savings, innovative revenue generation opportunities, and maximum passenger satisfaction. Lee, Sorry. there is a, on board, if I may, there is also a third party or third, let's say, element in this. So you said like the partner, your onboard partner or onboard, uh, let's say, vendor, and then you have the customers, but there you have the cabin crew. So yeah, you worked at Viva. I think you worked. If I read correctly, in your LinkedIn, you did like some projects to add digital sales technology and stuff like that to the cabin yeah. through. Yeah. What are What are the key stuff there to to get their buy in or to train them to to be to basically give them the better tools to use this? Let's say some of the digital aspects of that that we talked before, but in the onboard world. Yeah, so this is where my operational experience is, is really valuable because I, as I said, I started off in operations. I actually started flying as cabin crew myself. So look, when I applied for a job as a flight attendant, um, there were a couple of things that really attracted me to the job. One of them was the opportunity to travel, um, but the other one was opportunity to, um, to engage with the customer, you know, and as we've you know, moved into the era of low cost and ultra low cost, you know, a lot of the opportunity to interact with the customer has been, you know, from a service point of view has gone, you know, it's, it's been, it's less and less. So you, it really, um, the crew, uh, I think many of them are, are yearning for the opportunity to get out there and, and talk to the customer and engage with the customer, but are looking for, some mechanism to facilitate that interaction. It's very hard for them to go out into the cabin and just strike up a conversation with somebody. You know, um, it, it does happen. It happens often, but it's, it's, it's much easier if you have a mechanism to facilitate that interaction. And so what we found with the onboard retail is that, you know, if you look at the current model, you walk up and down with a cart and you say, you know, would you like some drinks, coffee, chips, whatever you, you offer? And, and customers, um, you know, may stop you and ask for it. But on an hour-long flight or an hour-and-a-half-long flight, you've got competitors with the airport selling at the departing and arriving stations. You've got people bringing their things from home. You've got um, – and, and you've got to contend with price-sensitive customers and typically quite expensive um, food and, and beverage on board because of the way that the model works. So actually getting crew engagement, if you have a really cool and, and compelling proposition, it's not actually that hard. Um, you know, they really want to get out there and interact with customers, my experiences at least, um, because it's a long, you know, long, long days. Um, and that's their, that's their passion as people. Um, what you have to do is have a system that works and is reliable um, because there's nothing more frustrating uh, for the cabin crew and having systems that don't work and don't deliver what they say they're supposed to do. Um, you want to make sure that what you're offering um, isn't embarrassing the crew because that's when you lose the engagement. I mean, crew don't enjoy asking a customer to pay um, 
what they consider an outlandish price for something. So, you know, you've got some airlines out there that have pushed onboard retail to the extreme and, you know, we're charging $20 for a, you know, for a, a, a mixer cocktail on board. And for a lot of people, that's just too expensive and the crew get embarrassed because they have to ask for $20 and the passenger then takes that on the crew member. They say, what do you mean it's $20 for a, a, a gin and tonic? That's ridiculous. And the crew stand there and they say, I know, I know. I get it. I'm sorry. It's, it's I don't make the prices, you know. So you get, you, you have to have an element of, um, you know, of being able to of empathy. I think for for the crew. But if you get that right, if you get a proposition which is fun, interactive, the product mix is interesting and engaging, um, the pricing is is tolerable. I mean, it's always going to be more than on the ground, but at, at, a, at a price where the crew don't feel embarrassed about it, um, and the passengers don't walk at them um, and if you can actually fulfill it that's the other thing I mean the, the biggest thing that I found with crew is the frustration when you just you know they have to say to the customer look we've sold out or we've sold out of that product um, and it's just not fair we're just not good enough at it um, of being able to forecast and provide the right inventory it used to happen all the time in Europe um, you know the crew would tell me that on the they'd have a four or five sector day and by the second sector they sold out of, you know, two or three critical products that customers constantly ask for. And so then they were stuck in this situation, which was embarrassing, saying, yeah, well, I'm sorry, we don't have any. Customers would get upset. And the crew took the view that the company had put them in that position because we just weren't good enough at getting those numbers right. Um, so it is a very important part to get right, but it's not the hardest part. I think if you come at it from a position of empathy, for the crew, engagement with the crew and understanding how the crew want to work on board. Um, it's actually quite easy to solve um, uh, that element. Um, and the digital capability that you build and in better forecasting or being able to sell by fulfillment as opposed to um, offering the customer um, like a, a shop or a kiosk scenario on board, you get um, better at being able to deliver it and that helps the crew uh, feel pride in what they're doing. Lee, you know, beside the the onboard service team and catering team, who else at the airline should be involved when, you know, to your point about selling the products the customers want, selling the products that the flight attendants feel reflect well on the airline and themselves, who should be at that table when they're working on this? Yeah, look, I... I, I'm a big fan of um, of collaboration. I think that's the the key for success. And sometimes, you know, we don't realize collaboration. Um, you know, it can feel like an endless consult consultative process. Um, and sometimes, the learning that you get from that collaboration can feel very insignificant. But quite, um, you, you, I've had some examples. We've had lots and lots of discussion. I've walked out of a meeting and thought. I didn't get anywhere closer to where I was actually trying to get, but I did get one nugget out of that conversation, which actually is very important. So it's the importance of recognizing that even small learnings can translate to big differences in what you're doing. Um, and don't lose faith in that collaboration. So I always, I'm a fan of get as many people in the room as possible, not just uh, from marketing, from, uh, from the crew representation, passengers themselves around the table. If you have trusted um, networks of passengers that you've used before for, 
you know, for different things, uh, you know, focus groups that are familiar with what you're trying to, you know, with the way that providing feedback or are willing to do it, that's always great. Um, our CEO had great ideas. You know, he was a frequent traveler, but his ideas were quite different because he was having a premium experience every time he flew by virtue of the fact that he was either the CEO of the airline or he was flying in business class or or, or in a priority experience. So his view was really valuable. Um, you know, he added that to the flavor, to the mix. There's lots of people within the airline that are really passionate um, about things outside their role. So they might work in, um, in, in accounts receivable or they might work in engineering. But some of those people, if you listen um, and see the way they interact around the organization, actually have real passion for things like digital experience and retailing and that. And sometimes it's really helpful to get them involved just for a, a, just for a different point of view. Um, and also um, it opens up more conversations. Um, so I think that's really valuable. But if you're looking at the core team, then I think it's really important to have your digital people there that can um, interpret the data for you and give you some insights. And then those insights lead to experiments and opportunities. I think it's really good to get um, your service, um, your, your marketing team involved because about the branding, the look, the feel, um, it's great to get um, crew working groups organized. I think that's critical um, for buy-in. Um, and then I think uh, a selection of people from across the business, like I said, that, um, that have a real passion for making this work. I think that's, um, that's how I would approach it anyway. Uh, now, you know, one, one thing that was interesting to me is you've been talking about this and in your background um, uh, is that you've worked in different continents, different countries. Um, you talk about collaboration, and I'm just curious, uh, you know, have you noticed that collaboration is either easier or more difficult in, you know, different parts of the world? Or uh, does that really not have anything to do with it? And is it really more the culture of the company itself, regardless of the geography? That's a great question. Um, the answer is yes and yes. Uh, there is a huge amount of nuance that is um, uh, that is different between cultures that change the way collaboration looks and feels. Um, you know, as a, as a New Zealander, we, you know, much like the Australians, we're quite egalitarian. So <clears throat> the willingness to speak up and to debate um, and to robustly debate ideas without the fear of what that could mean um, is, is really evident, you know, that that's really easy. Um, in countries like Japan and China, um, which are, you know, for me, are, are, in my experience, they are a bit more hierarch hierarchical. Um, that's the correct word, hierarchical. Um, they, yeah, they uh, tend to be different in the way that they provide feedback and share information. So um, one of the greatest lessons that I learned when, when working up uh, in Asia was to ask more questions and not to expect people to volunteer an opinion um, and uh, to allow the environment to be very safe and comfortable for people to share. But it was really, the onus was on me to ask the questions, you know, to really facilitate the contribution from the wider team because the way that it's, you know, the way that people work there is, is, is incredibly different. The organizational culture, absolutely. So Viva is probably the, a prime example. We had a fantastic CEO who 
um, was incredibly engaging, approachable, fair, um, and people really had a lot of confidence in him. And so as a CEO, that facilitated people had confidence and trust to be able to put their hand up and, and make a contribution, even if that was, um, you know, even if that wasn't um, positive uh, in the, you know, towards towards the discussion we were having, they were quite happy to to both add um, or contribute positively and also to stop and say, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, I've worked in other organisations where um, we haven't had that kind of leadership and that is very noticeable between the airlines, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it has to come from the top. It has to, no matter what it looks like when it when it filters down, the nuances for culture and, and language barriers and, you know, an egalitarian versus hierarchical um, structures, it doesn't matter. If you, you can, you can find a way to work through it. Collaboration is always the key, but if you don't have a CEO that leads with empathy um, and understands that, um, you know, there are the, the impacts of the way that they role model towards the, the way that their organization and people will behave. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah. That, that's definitely the biggest difference between the, the organizations I've worked for. And I'm very fortunate that I've worked with some great CEOs. Um, and I've seen the other side of it as well. Uh, and the difference is, is, is remarkable. Lee, you talked and I'll make full circle because then I would like to talk for hours. You're such a great interview and a lot of great insights, but we have the last part, the quick part. It's more funny part, relaxing. Mm -hmm. But before that, you mentioned the word empathy so many times. And I think empathy is really key in marketing. And for example, in our digital academy, we teach on the digital side, on the e-commerce side, about understanding friction and the reward. So what yeah. are the key friction points? How people are uh, feeling, you know? And how do, can you address these friction points? And I think maybe, I don't know, here I would like your opinion. Maybe here is where the airline digital teams can learn from the cabin crew like you said because i think they have this empathy the feeling for empathy or let's say the skills to to communicate with empathy much better because sometimes in the digital world when we just want to optimize sell more conversion we forget a little bit about the empathy so i don't know how do you look at that well look i mean there's a, a ton of ways you can solve it there's no silver bullet um if i had my if, if i had a, an opportunity um to send people out to work as cabin crew, I would do that um, to work in the operation. I think it's really valuable um, to, to get people in front of the customers to see what the customer is experiencing. You know, so from the beginning when I was talking about, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to understand when you're um, working in accounts payable or, or in, a, in, in corporate legal to actually understand that whatever you're doing today, whatever activity you're doing, all is ultimately works back to moving a passenger from A to B, you know? That's what you're here for. Even if you're doing something that feels totally unrelated to it, at the end of the day, your contribution for your work today is actually part of getting a passenger from A to B. And what that means to the passenger even more so, so whether that's, you know, reuniting a family or taking someone away for holiday or sending someone to, you know, to, to, to move to a new city, you're part of that journey. It's very hard to connect those two. And, and some CEOs put their corporate headquarters at the airport so that they're closer to the operations and they can get that sense. Um, you know, some send them out to do operational stints so they can get a sense of what it's like. Um, 
Some have uh, have working groups and opportunities to, to interact and talk with cabin crew and customers more. But there's definitely work to do there. Um, I think as a my biggest strength, I think, is coming from the operation and being able to take that into meetings and, and, and conversations with a real personal experience. Um, and if I sit around a table as an executive, you know, I'd say probably I'm the only one, often the only one in the room that has had that, you know, that mix of commercial and um, operational experience. Um, not all people see that. Um, some people <laughs> want purists. Some people want someone who's just strictly, you know, had yeah. a career in commercial. Um, and others think operations, you know, you, you've done operations, you know, you've got to make a decision. Do you want to stay in operations? Do you want to stay in commercial? And I've said, no, I still see it as my biggest strength, being able to advocate for the customer from a personal point of view. Uh, I guess, um, you know, it's, to- it's a really hard one to solve because you're right. When you are in a role where your responsibility is optimizing, commercially optimizing sales and driving, you know, conversion, it is hard to then think, how does that trickle back down to the customer experience at the airport, to the customer-facing crew member who's telling them, you know, the customers, um, look, we don't have the sandwich that you mm. want on the second sector of the day, on an eight-sector <laughs> day, when, you know, it just feels so logical for the crew member to say, look, it's, you know, you should have more. Why, why don't you? So they don't understand you know, the person making the decision doesn't necessarily understand the consequence of that decision. It, it is a tricky one. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I always think having having people go out and, and actually experience the customer um, is really important. And, and the other thing that I saw um, from, from Jetstar, they did something really well that Bruce um, Buchanan instituted, which was Go Enjoy, which was a company-wide induction program that aligned everybody from the beginning of what the company values were. Um, and one of those values, you know, um, being around the customer journey and the customer experience and understanding everything we do ultimately is about this customer, right? Heart of our organization. So aligning everybody from the beginning, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how many organizations have company values that nobody actually knows what they are. Um, you know, so you might have them plastered all over the wall. You might have them, uh, you know, written on lanyards and that sort of thing. But if you sit someone down and you say, tell me what your company values are, you know, all six of them or whatever, and explain them to me, most people can't. And mm-hmm. and that's sad reality because there's a huge disconnect between, as you said, you know, if you could connect those values every day and what you're doing, somehow reinforce them um, in the digital retailing space and, the, you know, in the network planning space and that maybe you'd have different outcomes, better outcomes. I mean, you can only have better outcomes, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and um, and I think that's that's woefully, um, you know, underinvested across um, a lot of organisations, and I think um, that's a tough, a tough one to solve too. You know, so. So now let's jump into the last part. Last part, we'll try rapid fire because we're running out of time, and we have a section that we call hire, train, and fire. So mm-hmm. basically, we give you free concepts. And you select the one that you like most. This one we say, okay, we hire. The one that you like in the middle, second, is train. And the last one that you like the least is fire. Okay? Okay. So we were talking about, you talked about working in different parts of the world. So we work in Americas, in Asia, in Australia, in Europe. So this is something, let's start light. All airline people complain to me that they're 
part of the world, the competition is the toughest. So if you have to rank <laughs> in terms of airline competition, which one will be the toughest? So let's say we this one is the higher, and then the middle and the third one. No, Europe. No, Europe. Europe. Okay, so Europe is the highest, you would say. The highest is Europe. Yeah, higher. Okay. Yeah, higher okay. for sure. Okay, good. And the next one? Oh, I, yeah, I think Asia um, is probably okay. second. Yeah, yeah. So this one was, let's say, more the tricky one. But then in terms of airline, let's say ancillary and retailing, we were talking about customer and data and knowing all this stuff. So for ancillary and retailing in terms of data, again, if you have to rank, what do you think is the most, import, most, uh, most important data? So one, we have past customer data like loyalty and CRM data on one side. Yeah. Then we have current purchase and booking trip data. So what the book, what is on the current PNR, and then we have like other data like social media and other stuff. What do you think the most important and the least of these three? Yeah. Well, look, I'm a firm believer that um, past behavior is the strongest predictor of future behavior. So I think your your historical CRM and that's probably your higher. Okay. train and the and the, the least important i think is your social um okay uh, yeah i think the difference is between what people say they'll do and what people actually do you know? <laughs> exactly. uh and so there's a big a bit of learning between the two you know uh yeah so uh, yeah higher is definitely for, for me the um the, the historical what do you think here henry from your side oh, um well from my standpoint i i agree uh uh, with Lee, that the past customer data is the best predictor, uh, for the, generally, of, of current and future behavior. Um, I think that the uh, uh, social, you know, I, again, I agree with Lee. We, we tend to say one thing and do another. Um, I'm reminded, uh, for example, of all the people who said that they would boycott various airlines or for that matter, brands in any industry because they're upset about something that happened, regardless of, of what it was. Very rarely uh, does the talk of the boycott materialize into anything material. Um, uh, now, you know, in some cases it does, um, um, but, but, you know, it also depends on the industry and what you do. That doesn't mean an airline should say, oh, we're going to do something rotten and we don't care about what people say about us on social. But, you know, um, um, the data on social is uh, subjective. It's qualitative. It's, it's semantics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, you oh, know if, I I, if only I could, you know, have all the people who said, oh, that looks great. I'd love to buy it. And then they see the t price. And they're like, oh, I can't afford to spend that much or I don't want to spend that much. That leads to a different conversation, of course. I think the um, the best example of that is, to, is um, you know, Ryanair have this amazing uh, slogan, you know, Europe's favorite airline. And it's such <laughs> a polarizing statement because, you know, if you look at it one way, they're probably the most topical conversation on social. And as to, to your point, Henry, the, the threats of boycott and the, you know, we hate this, this, um, you know, airline and, and this is, is quite, you know, it's quite, quite loud. But if you look at their commercials and you look at their passenger numbers, and they're absolutely right. They have to be Europe's favorite airline. It just depends on how you, you know, define favorite. Because if it's by customer 
you know, usage, it, it's clear they're by and far in the lead. If you look at their social commentary, you know, they're, they're well known for being, you know, uh, for, for being tough. Uh, so it's again, what people say and what they do often quite different, especially if it comes down to cost. Right. Okay. Last one, when it comes to hire, train and fire, and we talked a lot about the onboard sales and crew and cabin crew, and you gave a lot of good insights in terms of onboard retailing success yeah, mm-hmm. for the cabin crew, three different factors. So the first one is, let's say, incentive system. The second one is training, like sales training or training, customer facing training. And the third one are digital tools and data. So if you would have to select to, to oh, go back definitely. to your world. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, definitely hire for digital tools and, and, and data. Um, train Interesting. for. Interesting. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, what were the other two options? So, incentive system and training oh incentive second for sure because we <laughs> okay. we don't i mean we, we we you know we want our crew to be as productive as possible so we structure their collective agreement um you know to make sure that they're out there flying you know and we want them to sell as much as possible so we often build in an incentive program which is part of their rims you know so you want to give them as much option as you can to earn as much money as possible and that that's really important then you've got to give them also the tools and the resources to do it. The training bit, listen, I think we hire crew already programmed with the ability to sell. It's the profile we're looking for, people who want to to um, you know, to, to engage. So I just don't think you have to invest that much in, in training. I think it's really, you know, it's just about giving them the tools and and um, you know, incentivizing to, to 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 go out there and do it. Yeah, for sure. Great, great. So thanks. This has been great. A lot of great insights. It was tricky to schedule. We were talking before. So <laughs> we had like one hour or two hours of because uh, you're based in Auckland, right? In yeah, Brazil. I'm in Auckland now. now. Yeah. Yep. Mainly San Francisco. I'm in Europe, in Ljubljana. So, but I think for me, it was worth it. It was worth oh, it. Oh, for sure. The time. It's always and great I to had, talk to you guys. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Henry. It was wonderful. Lee, thank you very much for being so generous with your time and with your insights. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Henry. It's my pleasure. I hope uh, I offered something uh, good for to get the mind thinking a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's been a, my my biggest privilege of my life to have had a career in aviation, and uh, it's terrible to see the state of the industry at the moment post COVID. So, um, yeah, I encourage everyone and anyone who um, who has ideas uh, and and you know thoughts of how we can help the industry recover as quickly as possible to, to get out there and, and make the most, uh, make the biggest contribution they can so we can get this industry back to where it needs to be. Right. Right. Thank you. Take care, right. guys. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Stay well. Bye. CETA is the air transport industry's IT provider, delivering solutions for airlines, airports, aircraft, and governments. Our technology powers more seamless, safe, and sustainable air travel. With around 2,500 customers, CETA's solutions drive operational efficiencies at more than 1,000 airports while delivering the promise of the connected aircraft to customers of 18,000 aircraft globally. CETA also provides a technology solution that helps airlines worldwide bring their cabin crew into the digital era with an all-in-one digitalization tool. CrewTab 
the tablet application for cabin crew transforms daily airline operations from the ground up, unlocking the highest level of resource optimization, ultimate cost savings, innovative revenue generation opportunities, and maximum passenger satisfaction.